So we're in this series called Gospel Cures, and we're looking at how the gospel addresses the issues in our lives that uh, are sometimes a little bit overwhelming and hard for us. And today we're going to look at the uh, issue of strife, strife in our lives. And um, we've all got stories of experiencing strife with others, I'm sure. Um, One of my favorite family stories goes back to the very beginning of our marriage, and uh, my wife isn't here, but... uh, She's given me permission before to tell this story, so I'm, I'm on good ground here. Um, we're at the very beginning of our marriage, and uh, we get into some argument, and it was probably, you know, something stupid about, you know, how we stack the dishes or something, because that's what you argue about when you first get married, right? The little things that don't matter. Um, but uh, we, we have this, uh, this uh, argument, and it gets heated and more, more heated, and um, um, I know I'm, you know, 90% at fault in this argument because uh, I know how my tongue can be, especially at that time. And uh, my wife, my poor wife, gets so frustrated that she has a shoe in her hand and she goes to throw it on the bed. Now, that in and of itself was no big deal, but um, she missed a little bit and the shoe went sailing above the bed where there was a window. And the shoe went through the window and out the window, which in and of itself still wouldn't have been too bad. But we lived right next door to the church. And uh, the parking lot of the church was right there. So the, the, the shoe went through the window over the fence into the parking lot of the church. Which even that wouldn't have been so bad. Except that the older ladies in the church were preparing for a rummage sale in that parking lot. As the shoe went flying through the glass and over the fence into the parking lot. And we heard this little old woman out there say... Andrew? <laughs> and me, being my, uh, my comforting, kind self, said, I'm not getting that shoe uh, to my wife. And so she went out and got the shoe, and I never heard what, what the conversation was. And we really didn't hear much about the whole incident after that until a few weeks later, we were preparing, I was the youth, youth leader at this church, and we were preparing for an event, and I was talking to one of these little old ladies, and I said, yeah, we want to put the room like this, because Jody really wants it this way, and she looks at me, and she goes, oh, and I know what happens when Jody doesn't get her way, right? That was the only thing we ever heard of the strife of, uh, of that first, the shoe, so we always refer to that as the shoe incident, right? Now, um, wouldn't it be great if we could probably just uh, have a, 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 a whole stream of us telling stories like that, right? Of the stupid things that we do in the midst of strife and conflict and problems. Um, and, you know, it's true that one of the things that makes this life hard, one of the things that makes the world difficult, this fallen, broken world difficult, is the amount of strife that's in it. And think about your own life. Think about your workplace, you know. And that person who's in the cubicle next to you and just does this X or Y and and how bothersome that is, right? Um, Or at your home, maybe there's a deep-seated kind of struggle, conflict that's going on with somebody in your house, whether it be um, your spouse or a child. Um, Think about your neighborhood. And we all know about the spite trees that people plant, you know, so that they'll take away the other person's view Um, I've seen that actually happen in the last house I was in. One of the neighbors did this. Um, It was amazing. And so you can go on and on. You think of all the places, and then you can kind of go outward from that, right, and think about um, the world around us and the strife that, you know, is is, uh, oftentimes at a level none of us have ever experienced in places in the world where there's just deep brokenness and continual harm and stress and strain because people are just at each other. There's conflict. There's strife all around us. And it's one of the things that makes this, this 
fallen world so difficult is the quantity, the amount of strife. In fact, when God talks about heaven in the Bible, um, it's the, a, a big part of heaven is the absence of strife. We have a word for that. It's called peace. And it's an incredible word, and it's very important. It's one of the defining traits of heaven is there will be shalom. There will be peace in heaven. It's going to be awesome. I mean, just imagine every cause of strife being rooted out of the world. Can you even begin to think of a place like that? But that's what God is calling us to. Now, that's our eventual sort of ending up place, but what do we do now? What do we do today in the midst of the strains and the conflicts that we face uh, on a regular basis? The question that I want to ask this morning is, does the gospel have anything to say about strife? Does it have a cure for strife? So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible uh, to Proverbs. We're going to be looking in Proverbs uh, in many, many places. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, we'll probably be starting, it looks like here, in Proverbs um, 26. So if you want to open up to that, you can. Proverbs 26, 21. But we're going to get there in a minute. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about strife uh, itself. If you need a Bible, don't be shy. Raise your hand. Um, I am going to be doing... Uh, okay, so we have two kinds of sermons here. We do mostly expository sermon. We go through books. We're going to be going through Ephesians next But in this series, we're doing more of a topical thing where we're looking at scriptures from all throughout the Bible. And so um, I want you to follow along in your scripture, but also I'm going to be putting some of these up uh, on the screen so that you can see them there. Um, So strife is is possible, uh, you know, if you think about it, in nearly every moment of life. We can disagree just about anything, right? I mean, you can disagree with the way somebody breathes who's sitting next to you. I mean, has it ever been annoying to you? You know, there's maybe a little whistling sound or they're just, you know, I mean, really? I can't even breathe next to you, right? Right? The strife can come in and, and just, I was thinking about this. We can, we can encounter strife when we're all alone just by thinking about, somebody, about what somebody said to us or did earlier, right? There's just so many ways for strife to enter in, strife, conflict uh, between people. Um, it's just so prevalent and so easy. Just about every moment could be a moment of strife. And so we're constantly making decisions. Will this bother me or will it not bother me? Will this thing that this person does, big or small, bother me? Will I allow it to cause strife? And the tricky part is this, is that some things matter, right? Some things that people do matter. So if it's an egregious kind of sin then it may be the case that that conflict or some sort of strife is unavoidable because in the process of addressing that sin, then we're going to be in conflict. And and so we can't just throw it out altogether and say that that strife is, is always bad. Sometimes it's an important part of relationships. But many times the things over which you know, we allow strife to enter in our relationships are small things or insignificant things. They may be matters of preference. Somebody likes to do things a particular way, you know, stack the dishes this way or, you know, or it might be personality quirks that rub us the wrong way. Um, Or it might be those kinds of sins that we're called to bear with with one another. So the Bible talks about bearing with one another and and we're always, you know, sort of doing these little things against each other. And, and there's just a huge amount of bearing with one another that has to happen in order for life to work. We can't just continually be calling out every little thing and being frustrated by it and allowing it to cause strife 
because it would be completely overwhelming. And so we're left in this sort of continual decision point. We have to decide, does this rise to the level where I'm going to allow it to create conflict in our relationship that could lead to some sort of healing? Or am I going to let this pass by? Is it a preference issue or is it a sin issue? Is it just the quirkiness of this person or is it a real thing? And, and the, 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 the reality is that as people, we're not very good, I don't think, at discerning those different levels of potential conflict and strife. So things that maybe we should let by, we don't. And things we shouldn't let by, we do. And some of us are on that side where we let everything by. A few of us just don't ever care about anything, right? But then most of us fall on the other side where we care too much. We care about the things that matter and we care too much about the things that don't matter. And we're, we have this tendency to enter into strife quickly and easily. And it can even become sort of habitual. And when the Bible talks about our sin and it talks about strife, it almost gives the impression that strife can become a habit of character. That living in strife with others or in a particular relationship can almost become a habit. So, for example, in, uh, in Proverbs 26, 21, it says, As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. So there's, a, there's this idea that there can be somebody who has just become quarrelsome. That's their nature. They've allowed that to shape who they are and what their character is. And then that is, becomes kindling for continual strife. Or if we look in Romans 1, 28 through 29, Paul is describing the nature of humanity um, apart from God. Uh, and he says this, And since they, that's people, apart from God, did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. So that idea of being full of it, we can be full of strife. In other words, we can be continually uh, bringing about and, and entering into strife. And so how does a person become a person of strife where there's that, that kind of conflict all the time? And how does a relationship get there? And there are several forces, I think, uh, that we have to examine when we think about how do we descend in this place where strife has just become an overwhelming part of our, our lives. And, and one, one source for uh, the strife in our lives is the examples that we've seen and what we've learned. So, for example, if you go back to your family of origin and you uh, see that people tended in your family of origin to react quickly to any, um, anything that somebody else did to them and there was continual strife, you know, then that probably shaped the way that you approach relationships too. So there's an element of our family of origin um, there. Uh, in how we, we become people of strife. There's a personality issue, I think, that's at play here. Some of us tend to be more on the decisive side. We're quick to, we make quick decisions. And then if you add that, some of us, to put it in a gentle way, we have a bias for bettering the world around us. Um, and so we're decisive and have that bias for bringing betterment to the world around us. We see things that are wrong and we want to fix it. We want to call it out. And so there's a bit of a personality. Some personalities are a little bit more easygoing and just sort of ride with whatever is happening and, and don't feel that obligation to try to make the world a better place for everybody else so strongly. And so we just kind of let it go. Uh, so there's a personality force that's going on there. But then we go more biblically into kind of the forces underneath that that work at bringing strife 
And we would have to call out idolatries. Uh, idolatries, wherever you have an idolatry, uh, an idol, strife will be sure to follow. So, for example, um, in our country, one of the things that we struggle with greatly is the idol of comfort. We love to be comfortable. And unlike anybody in the whole history of human beings, we have the, the potential to be more comfortable than anybody else. And so it's easy for that to become an idol. I mean, we could just leave here and go straight to Ikea and buy all the things that we need, right, to be comfortable and have everything perfect. We could, you just, you know, we have control over our time in ways. We have control over so many things. And that control and that pursuit of comfort can become an idol. Well, what happens when somebody threatens that idol? Then strife enters in. Strife enters in because we don't want that idol to be threatened. So wherever we have idols, and comfort is just one, there are many then strife is sure to follow close on its heels. And then fourthly, I would say that sin, just in that very nature of the word sin, is part of what leads us towards strife. And, and the Proverbs help us to understand that a little bit more. So Proverbs 17, 19, I'm just going to read a few of these quickly. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. The two go hand in hand. Whoever loves sin, that's another word for sin, loves strife. Or Proverbs 28, 25, a greedy man stirs up strife. So there's that idle situation where an idol then influences um, the relationships and breaks them down. And then Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. And so we see that it's the sin that's just resident in us ever since the fall is also one of the contributing forces to our being in strife. And as Strife becomes a kind of a habit in our lives, and, and particular relationships can take this on. I know that even in, in our marriage, there's been times where it felt like, almost like we, we got used to living with a certain measure of strife, and so we had to work on that, and we had to say, you know, uh, let's not allow this to be the, to be the case. We want to settle for this. You know, this always happens with the people that are closest to you, right? There's potential for more strife with those people who are closest to you. Um, but, but, but this is a, a, a this is the, one of the forces. Um, it's almost like, in some cases, we get to the place where we don't know how to live without strife. Because we're just, so, maybe if it became, if it was part of our family of origin, we get to that place where we don't even know, it feels uncomfortable to be without some sort of conflict in our lives. So, what then does the gospel say about strife? What is the gospel Cure, And I, I don't want to say this as if just, you just do these th five things and all the strife in your life will be cured, right? This is a process. It's a, it's, it's a thing of growth. But there's five things to understand about God um, that I really think will help us grapple with some of these areas of strife in our life. Whether it be in your family, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in the church. We can have strife in the church. Whatever it is, wherever you find it. These understandings about God will, will help us. And the first one is simply this, is that we need to come to grips with the fact that God makes people in unique ways. He makes unique people with very different characteristics and personalities and traits. There's a lot of quirkiness in our world, right? And God made it that way. He made these people in his image. And you take all these people, and they're all different, different personalities, and you mash them together, you're going to get some conflict. That's just the way it is. But we have to remember, and it helps us to remember, that this is part of God's design. 
Some of it is quirkiness and some of it is sin. Some of the, the, the difference is sin uh, and, and we're to forbear with that and to have compassion uh, for others in their struggles. Um, John Ortberg wrote a book that uh, is called uh, Everybody's uh, Normal Until, what is it called? Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Everybody's Normal, and that, I mean, that's kind of worth the book right there, just the title. Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And he, he explores uh, the issue of normalcy and sort of comes to the conclusion there's no such thing, right? There's no such thing as normal. Uh, and then he quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, 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 and addresses this, this idea of perfectionism and this, this, this failure to understand that people are different and quirky and nobody's normal. How that then comes in and destroys, has the potential to destroy community. So we have these dreams of perfection for community, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, but God's grace quickly frustrates all such dreams. A great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves, is bound to overwhelm us as surely as God desires to lead us to an understanding of genuine Christian community. Now listen to this. The sooner this moment of disillusionment comes over the individual and the community, the better for both. Those who love their dream of the Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. There's something very freeing about coming to grips with the fact that community is messy, that people are quirky, that nobody's normal, that we all have rough edges, and we all have sins that... We're battling against and we haven't yet figured out how to overcome. There's something very freeing about ex accepting that reality and just allowing that to be the honest truth and then moving on from there. Sometimes it's that holding on to that illusion of perfection that makes it so hard for us to get into real life community. C.S. Lewis talks about how we all love community in the ideal, but the hard thing is to love a particular Christian community or any community, to love particular people, not just the ideal. And part of our understanding is that God makes very unique people. The next one is that God gives us his wisdom. God gives us his wisdom for addressing the strife and even addressing the strife before it happens. So look over in Proverbs seventeen fourteen with me. Proverbs 17, 14. There's some very sweet morsels of truth in the Proverbs having to do with strife. And I don't even really need to expound upon them. We can just sort of sit with them a little bit. This one has been on the wall of our house for years and years and years. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the coil breaks out. Isn't that true? Once it starts, boy, it's hard to get that back in the box, that genie or whatever you want to say, to let the, wa the water starts flowing and it just picks up steam. And one of the best times to fix it is before it starts. Look over to 17, verse 1. Look at the priority of peace you see in, in chapter 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting. 
with strife. Have you, I've experienced that before. I could eat dry toast if we're all in harmony and happy, right? Or I could be having Chez Panisse with a bunch of strife and anguish. Man, I'll take the dry toast every day. It's that much better. Turn over to Proverbs 13.10. And, and by the way, as we're looking through these, I, I trust the Holy Spirit, the church is gathered, the Holy Spirit is here. Holy Spirit may be calling one of these particular verses and calling your attention to that verse to really listen. And, and so write it down and go back home and meditate on it this week. Don't let the Holy Spirit's work be shortchanged in your life as we're reading these. Proverbs 13.10. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. And you know the book of Proverbs is written for teenagers. <laughs> so teenagers... Take note. Um, but I know most of us miss these lessons when we were teenagers, so we still need the book of Proverbs, right? But, you know, if somebody's in authority over you and your continual response is insolence, is to disagree with what they say, is to reject what they say, then there's going to be a lot of strife. That's just the reality. But with humility and the ability to accept the input of those in authority over you or those who are, who are wiser and older than you um, comes great wisdom. Turn over to chapter 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Verse, chapter 16, verse 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, Sometimes even just the little things that we say where we're just tweaking, just tweaking the truth ever so slightly to, to maybe get our way or be seen a little better than we might have been seen. Just those little things, those little dishonesties can lead to strife. So again, verse 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. We have to be so careful with our words and the things that we know about other people that we share with others. The other word for that is gossip, right? And it's one of the great contributors to strife. Okay, so God gives us his wisdom. And, and I hope, uh, I know those verses really speak deeply into my life. And I have to sit with them and continue to to uh, meditate on them. So God gives us, makes unique people. That's one understanding. God gives us his wisdom. God gives us his spirit. Look with me and we'll put it up here. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which is kind of a mess. And there's a lot of strife. And they're looking back at, you know, which ones were brought to Christ by Apollos and which one came to Christ by Paul. And even that is causing strife within their midst. And, and Paul writes to them, and he's basically saying, you're not maturing, you're not leaning into the life that God has given you to live and the power that God has given you in the Spirit. So verse 1, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. This is a great dichotomy in Scripture. We're either, either living out of the flesh. So it's, such a, it's, a, it's a great word for sort of the sinful desires in us, the sinful nature or we're living by the Spirit, relying on God to fill us and strengthen us. 
So um, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And what a fascinating phrase, behaving only in a human way. You mean there's something I can do, I can behave in that's better than a human way? Yes. It's called living by the Spirit. In which the very power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, comes to us and helps us to live in the way that God designed us to live. And so we can default to the flesh or we can live by the Spirit. Now, living by the Spirit requires a measure of patience, of waiting on God to fill us with the strength that we need to do what we need to do. And by the way, if you're hungering for that filling of the Spirit, and, and this is all new to you, you need to know something very important. Before you can be filled with the Spirit, you need to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that the sin in your life might be placed on the shoulders of Jesus. He took and made atonement for it on the cross, died on the cross, so that you're cleansed by his sacrifice, so that now God can take up residence in you and fill you with the Spirit. And that's the resource that he gives us. He gives us the Spirit to help us to avoid strife and to make peace with others. And it requires us waiting. Nobody ever died from not pointing out the flaw in their neighbor, right? And it feels like you're going to die if I don't say this. But the reality is you can wait and you can draw on the strength of the Spirit and as you commit that act of faith, God pours out His Spirit to carry you along and help you in that process. That's how it works, to live by the Spirit. It's resisting the temptation of the flesh, waiting to be filled with the Spirit. Fourthly, God gives us his example. I'd like you to meditate on Jesus Christ as he went to that cross and all the betrayal, all the harsh words, all the physical abuse, the thorn, the crown of thorns, the, the whipping, okay, and then ultimately the being nailed to the cross, right? Jesus, as he, he walked that gauntlet, had this silence that was rooted in this trust of his Father to carry him through that. And when we are in the midst of conflict, it is helpful for us to know that our beloved Savior and Lord endured this and so much more. And to reflect and to be empowered by the example of Jesus Christ. And, and it goes a little further because maybe we weren't there on that day, but by our sins in our lives, we have also heaped onto Jesus all that condemnation and suffering that he endured. And yet, how has he been patient with us, with me, even this morning? Just whatever thoughts flow through my mind, whatever, God is, Jesus is continually patient with me. 
And the knowledge of that, the knowledge of his patience towards me, helps me to be patient with others. Where I might otherwise seek strife. And we'll come back to that in just a word. But the last one is that God gives us his promise. These are very tied together. So he gives us his example, but he gives us his promise. Romans 12, 19 is perhaps uh, a clear articulation of this. Beloved, he says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And one of the important ways that we endure conflict and, and, and the struggle of strife is to remember that the story is not over and God will, in fact, bring about justice in our world. We don't have to be, like, that's not on our shoulders, okay, to bring about justice all throughout the world. I, I want to release some of you from that bondage, okay, because you feel that sometimes. It's on the shoulders of Christ to be the judge who returns and makes everything right. And he will. And that promise that he will come back empowers us in this moment to endure whatever conflict or struggle that we think is going to kill us but isn't. You know, uh, to endure that because we can know that Christ is coming back. And, and, and to encourage you in that, I want to read a quote um, from Miroslav Volf who wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace. And it comes, he's a theologian, but it comes out of, he's Croatian, and he lived through the conflict in Yugoslavia, which was one of the most painful, um, disastrous uh, sort of civil wars that this world has experienced. All kinds of atrocities took place, you know, involving all kinds of uh, physical abuse, obviously emotional abuse, sexual abuse. I mean, it's just unspeakable the things that people did to one another. And out of that crucible, he, he writes this book, um, exclusion and embrace to talk in many respects about strife and conflict and how the gospel speaks into and cures our conflict and our strife. And, and so here's what he says. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. And I don't mean this to sound like a quick fix or a hasty remedy. Just do this and everything will be fine. Because that's, that's not it. We have to, there's oftentimes associated with this a kind of a process when there's deep entrenched conflict. It takes time. But here's the contours of the journey that have to take place on, at some level. After we go through all the anger and the stress that often comes with it, after we, we name and identify what's going on, he says this, he says, he says, when in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah, two things happen. The enemy moves out of the monstrous and comes into the sphere of shared humanity. And the self moves out of proud innocence into the sphere of common sinfulness. So, so we think of ourselves as, as, you know, we've got the person with, that we're in conflict with, we're over here and over there, and we're, we're at each other. But when you put Jesus above all that, suddenly it's like, the, it's like this one swings over and we realize that we're both in the same place under Christ. We're both sinful, broken people uh, under a perfect God, Okay. So now we're not at each other, we're kind of on the same side. And he says this, he says, when you um, know the torturer will not eternally triumph over the victim, there is going to be justice, you can rediscover their humanity. And 
with God's help and over time through a process, imitate God's love for them. This is a man who's experienced deep, deep, deep conflict and strife and pain and, and suffering. When you know that God's love is greater than all sin, this is interesting, you are free to see yourself in light of God's justice and admit your own sin. So you can both understand the, the one who brings the conflict uh, under the gospel and you can see yourself under the gospel. And that opens the way for there to be healing. We can't admit our own sin if there's no hope that there's a God big enough to heal it. It's too scary. But when we come to Christ, then we can see the pathway opened up. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning. That in the small things, and perhaps some of us are grappling with very entrenched, very overwhelming conflict. That God, we, we ask you and invite you in our lives to bring your cures, your healing work to free us to allow for the wonderful diversity in your creation, to give us wisdom, to give us your spirit, to help us to meditate on your example and to help us to lean into the promise that you will make all things right. Lord, for those of us who need to embark on a journey with respect to the strife in our lives, we pray your spirit would come alongside the counselor to help us walk this journey. That we wouldn't settle for a life filled with strife. That's the old life. And Christ is bringing us out of that. And so by your mercy and your grace and your power and your goodness and your truth, Bring us out that we might be filled more and more with your light and that might shine on the dark places, the places of strife in this world. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.